Blog Talk Radio. Francis here to make life happen and all about being able to live life successfully, have great career, wonderful relationships with your children, with your spouse, with your parents, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, as well as being able to finance life in a way that you want to do. Having a quality, successful life is also related to happiness. In the next 90 minutes, you're going to hear some formulas that are very much a part of the psychotherapeutic counseling, coaching life in terms of being able to equip individuals with having uh, the capacity to be successful in the ways they want to be. Along with this particular presentation, which I'm about to click into because it is recorded for your clarity, you'll be able to go on YouTube within a matter of about a week after this is out, so probably by the time you're listening to this, and go on my YouTube at Dr. Carol Francis, and you'll be able to see the slides that are alongside this particular broadcast. I hope you enjoy this time. I really hope you'll take notes, take the tests and assessments that are included in this evaluation, and take heart at what qualities are really necessary to groom inside of you to have the next level of evolving success in your life. Enjoy. Be well. Dr. Carol Francis, turning you over to this recording. Hello, this is Dr. Carol Francis. I am so glad you all could join me for the Formulas for Success in the Psychotherapeutic Arena. We as psychotherapists, whether we're social workers, marriage and family child therapists, psychiatrists or psychologists, have a keen interest in being able to help clients exactly make the progress that they want to make. And we are entering into a world that's really not too uncommon for us. Remember, we come from a world of self-help books that have been around forever. And I have, I have been in the field since radio it started to be the format for helping individuals work through issues. And that was controversial at the time that started. Now we're in the world, the market of self-help. We're in the market of life coaches, health coaches, fitness coaches. Um, we're, we no longer own the profession of helping individuals, but I believe that we have a lot of training background skills, formulas for success that are unique to the arena of being a psychotherapist. But we can't be shy about entering into the arena of success. We can no longer be thinking about psychopathology exclusively. We can no longer be thinking about an individual that just sits and bemoans what they're going through and try to help them work through that in terms of what is wrong in their life. We must start thinking in terms of having formulas for success and think about the various techniques that we already have in our practices that can be turned into thinking about the way our Western society thinks, which is success-oriented. But who am I? Because you have to represent yourself as a success-oriented therapist, and I do as well. So 
why do I think I have qualifications in this direction? You know, we're none of us or none of us will be meritous in thinking that we're narcissistically some major gift to God, but at the same time, or gift to our clients, at the same time we do have to be aware uh, that we are need to personify what success is all about if we are going to help our ch- our clients, our our patients through the process as well. So today is all about let's creating successful living together. My name is Dr. Carol Francis. I have been in the field of psychotherapy for 32 years with various licenses, and here they all are, clinical psychologist, marriage, family, child, therapist, hypnotherapist, fitness trainer, nutrition trainer. I've written over nine books, lots of articles, host my own radio show since 2009, and also had a television show, which is quite fun for a couple of years. Um, I, this is, these are my contact information, inf- so please feel free to contact me at any of those points in time. And I love doing my radio show, and you can listen to the recordings of it, podcast at blogtalkradio.com slash dr-carol-francis. You can also contact me at 310-543-1824 in the Los Angeles area. It's really the South Bay Beach cities of the Los Angeles area. Or find out more about me at drcarolfrancis.com, D-R-C-A-R-O-L-F-R-A-N-C-I-S.com. Um, I truly enjoy the social networking, and that is one way that you definitely need to market a success-oriented practice, and that would be through Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, et cetera. Yeah, there's so many ways that we need to reach out to people, letting them know that we're there to help them experience success. So you're more than welcome to get more information about me from any of those sources, and then also Good Therapy will have the slides available for you after this. Now, here are some books that I've written that are related to successful living. Uh, the one that I most enjoyed writing was Spiritual Gurus, Spiritual Paths, Your Choice, because there's so many different success-oriented gurus and so many different avenues to successful living. And so I decided to examine 14 of the very powerful success-oriented paths that have a spiritual or mindfulness bent to them. Uh, They deal with financial living, personal self-satisfaction, relationships, and come from all sorts of different directions. Successful formulas that are intrinsic to the fields of science, nature, fitness, or the gurus such as uh, Anthony Robbins with all of his enthusiasm and wanting to inspire people, or Nathaniel Hill with all of his sense, his 16 steps of, of being able to walk the path towards success, financial and personal success. And then also steps such as you would find in Buddhism, Judaism, and Christianity, which I think are very powerful. Hinduism is also an interesting tool, which actually, unbeknown to us, really is the rock bed or the cornerstone to a lot of the success-oriented paths that are presented, interestingly, and not a lot of it has arisen from Hinduism. We don't think about it that way, but there's a lot of source in that. Anyway, so in the process of writing this book, I really loved being able to embrace the tools, the axiomatic hypotheses and perspectives, their sense of what was success, changes, is different, and their ways of reaching success differ as well, except for there are always the consistent serial of of things that they purport as part of successful living, one of which is living intensely in the direction that you want 
to succeed at. There's this intense connection and commitment to a path that encompasses all of who you are with such passion, such deliberateness, such focus. And that, no matter if you're talking about the materialist gurus or you're talking about the spiritual gurus, is a real cornerstone to what they see as part of the path of success. So we have to understand what is going to ultimately help our clients be very focused. And for the very diffused, very random, very ADHD, ADD type clients, the, the choosing a very focused path is actually a very different process than for individuals that are OCD, for example, or individuals that are narcissistic in quality or individuals that are borderline in quality. So our knowledge of pathology really does integrate into the understanding of success path, and it will help our clients, our patients, that we have sophisticated understanding of psychopathology and the developmental process of moving out of it into being able to have a healthy lifestyle that also has all the dimensions of success they're looking for. Now, other books I've written, this is related to women. Women have a very definite path, and I I loved having the 20 uh, contributors to this book that were both male and female, writing about their men, writing about their mothers, their wives, their children, and their perspective on women, and women writing about all sorts of different struggles and how they overcame them, what their formula for their success, whether it was related to their political influences, their financial strengths, or their business savvy, whether it related to uh, matters of health and weight management, uh, to retirement, to taking care of ailing members of the family and being the caregiver, or whether they're facing death themselves as a woman, widowed, which most of the women are widowed because the majority of men die before their wives or before their female spouses. And so this book, Evolving Women's Conscious, was, again, yet another way of saying that there are so many ways of living successfully, so many formulas and so many different approaches to all sorts of aspects of being a successful evolved woman. And the contribution of these 20 people from their different life experiences, again, illustrates formulas for success from different points of view, which brings me to you being able to analyze yourself. You need to know who you are individually, your idiosyncratic talents, skills, weaknesses, and glitches. Uh, so that you can sit there and understand why you succeed and why you do not, what your formulas are for success in all categories of success and where you fail or where you fall short because you need to know your own formulas, your own profile, and you're not going to apply your own profile to all your patients, but what you're going to do is walk into a room with a patient knowing that they also have their own individual glitches. So as we go forward in this presentation, I want you first to examine yourself and then to consider at least one of your patients and outline what you understand about them as well and then walk into that therapeutic arena with that patient uh, with with an additional sense of looking at them from a position of success. Another book that I wrote, Reuniting Soldiers with Families, is really one of my passions. I've been working with soldiers since post-Vietnam 
with the, uh, the health care system, the mental health care system. And I just find that the families suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, suffer from their soldiers being gone and trying to figure out how to survive and on their own without their soldier around. And then what do they do when their soldier comes back and tries to move into a family without the restructuring process or with the restructuring process, the family dynamics? It's very complex. And this book was written from the point of view of how do we make the families and how do we make the soldiers very successful in their process of reuniting. It's all filled with exercises, with uh, self-awareness processes, and with dialogue or communication processes that will help families and their soldiers reunite. It's all about successful living, whether it's related to overcoming post-traumatic stress, sexuality and intimacy, finding jobs within the community, dealing with relationships that are within the war uh, situation as well as without. Now, these are also two books about success. Quit Smoking, Kiss Away Cigarettes, and If You Can't Stop Eating, Maybe You're Hungry. And what we discover is that these two are about patterns and habits, about addictions, about not being in control or being in control of your life. And so both of these books embrace different formulas for success. The Quit Smoking, Kiss Away method is all about being completely successful, super successful. Keep it super successful is the way I do the K-I-S-S, and it's different with the engineers that say keep it super simple. I want to keep it super successful for people who want to quit smoking, and quit smoking has about eight different complex reasons as to why people maintain their addictions to cigarettes. So why not deal with eight of those variables simultaneously in order to uh, make the smoking, to stop smoking, very successful. Now, one thing that's very key about that is the recognition that if you know the eight variables and where an individual is on those eight variables of smoking, then if you address all of those eight variables where they are in the moment and then progressively develop in the next moment and the moment thereafter and the moment thereafter, session after session after session, the next set of interventions, that keeps it very successful for where they are in the moment and keeps them on the road to progression. So that's the quit smoking kiss away cigarettes method, which is all about being very successful, very successful at being able to control a habit and getting over a habit that is extremely addictive. Now, eating is similar, except for you can't stop eating. I guess you can, but that's really not very healthy. So how do you eat in a healthy manner in a society like ours, which is a very indulgent and completely uh, overwhelmingly accessible foods that are bad for you and are tasty and just indulge with our wonderful mouth? So this is a book that says if you can't stop eating, maybe you're hungry, reset your food cravings, because it is about being able to greet every single one of the reasons why you might be overeating or not eating in a manner that's healthy to you, and being able to move on on each of those variables, move to the next level, the next step, evolving, always thinking of yourself evolving to the next a step of what would be healthy for you. So these are just a few of the books that I've written related to formulas for success. And you're welcome to look those up. They are very accessible on ebooks. I also I'm recording this seminar at other times and you can re-listen to this seminar on blogtalkradio.com, dr-carol-francis, as well as good therapy 
is broadcasting the good therapy version of this too. Well, let's dive into the next set of tools. The first thing I want you to realize that as psychotherapists sitting there with your clients, you possess a certain formula of tools that really are not available to life coaches. Uh, at least not in the form of sophistication that is, a, that is available for people who have studied psychopathology and the way or paths of moving past psychopathology or understanding personality and the mind of human beings in very complex assessment-oriented ways. You have assessment tools no matter what field of licensure you have. You have assessment tools related to health and pathology, intelligence, achievement, and aptitude, skills for relationships, management of anger, depression, trauma. These can be really helpful to you or possibly not. They can get in your way of thinking in a success modality because you might be thinking in a psychopathological modality. But to have this as a basic set of tools and recognizing that there are tools that help you define where your client is at on these variables gives you tools that the life coach does not have, a sophisticated way of looking at your client. Now, a life coach tends to come and looks at their clients from the success tools that they have, and we'll talk about those more in a moment, as opposed to looking at their client from where the client specifically is. So that gives you that added advantage of being able to define who the client is in the moment that they arrive in your room on all sorts of different variables. And so the very first thing to do is to really clearly assess. So this assessment process in the success-oriented formula also provides the self-reflection, the self-definition, and the look on both skill sets and glitch sets that are associated with success. And being able to look at yourself clearly both in terms of success and failure, and where you're self-hypnotizing, you know, you're making those those self-affirmations with self-deformations, what it, what's your plan doing in those regards? So what's another aspect of assessment? Well, you can clearly, please feel free to contact me as these materials are progressing. This is where you can let me know that you want more information. It's drcarolfrancis at gmail.com or through drcarolfrancis.com. Now, the variables to assess, and I want you to think about this for yourself. If you were to take a skill, any of these that are on this particular page, and there are six of them, six categories, and you were to say from zero to five, five meaning I'm, I'm maxed out on this quality, I definitely have that, and zero meaning I don't have a clue, I, I don't have any of it, and then somewhere in between, so three being middle ground, you know, not, not zero, but definitely not everything. Okay, so now set up a piece of paper, and I want you to put one, two, three, four, five, six, and you're going to rate yourself on these, okay? These are six key success-oriented mindsets or skills that are reaped from no less than 20 different models of success, and I'm just consolidating them for you. Okay, here we go. Number one, from zero to five, rate yourself. What is your level of tenacity work ethic, and conscientiousness. This all kind of comes together. Tenacity is that ability to stay focused, to stay on it, whether you want to or not. You stay right on the process that's re related to success, and if that success is going to take you three years, you're there the whole time applying the gas, ever so often maybe the breaks, but you just are so in the state of progression. And you have work ethics that keep you diligent and and 
on and working in the process of it and you're conscientious about it. Okay, zero to five, where are you? That one quality is probably more central to your client's level of success than almost any other quality according to these 20 plus models of success. So what you want to think about is if your client wants a successful relationship, how tenacious are they? What, what's their work ethic? What's their conscientiousness about really paying good quality attention to the relationship? Your client wants to be employed in a quality job. What is their tenacity and their work ethic associated to that job? So if they want to have a good body and they want to uh, form this trim, firm, fit body, but they feel all glitched up because of an eating disorder, what is their emotional and mental tenacity? What is their sense of, of working on it and their ability to work on it? And that's going to be more central than any other quality related to the success aptitude or success mindset. Okay, number two, zero to five, rate yourself. What is your level of optimism, optimism your level of hopefulness, your level of relentlessness, the relent level of determination. What what is your your level of this emotional, passionate movement into really knowing that you can do this? We're going to talk about passion a little bit later, but that optimism, sense of hopefulness. I know I can do this. I just need the tools and assistance. It's a very different attitude than. I'm just really not sure I can. Maybe this is a waste of my time. And again, this is like the second most important variable in being able to assess your client's ability to succeed in the current moment, what help they're going to need, since this is the second variable, and what optimism do they have? Where is their hopefulness? Because they walked in your door being hopeful that you would be part of the formula for their success. And what got them to walk in your door? What optimism made them reach out to you? So they do have some. They're not at zero, even though they may feel that they're at zero. Third, okay, from zero to five, rate yourself. What is the level of reliability, trustworthiness, or follow-through which you manifest in your life on that particular dimension of success? How reliable are you in relationships? How trustworthy are you in relationships? How much follow-through? You, when you say something, can those people rely on you? When you say something to yourself, like, I want to lose weight, how reliable and trustworthy are you? This is the third most significant success aptitude value variable. The mindset variable is the level of reliability. So are you a three? Are you two? Are you zero on that particular topic? Are you five? because that will let you know where you are in success. Fourth variable, ready? Zero to five, rate yourself. Self-initiative, the capacity to start and the capacity to finish something, go all the way. The self-initiative capacity, again, this is like number four on the predictability level of how they're going to succeed. And it also is about their attitude. If they can initiate a program, such as coming to you for assistance, and can they initiate an eating program? Can they initiate an exercise program if they're talking about fitness? Can they initiate meeting people if they want to have a quality relationship and they're not dating anyone? Can they initiate joining Match.com if that's a variable? If they want to have a successful career, can they initiate the right interviews? Can they initiate the right training programs? Can they initiate the right resume processes? And, and again, if you go back to the number three, trustworthy, how trustworthy they are to follow through on what they've initiated. Will they start it and not finish it? And that, of course, is an issue related to 
ADHD, ADD, so forth and so on. Number five, zero to six, what is your capacity to seek assistance? What is your capacity to utilize someone's advice? What is your capacity to select worthy mentors, establish connections, have social skills or pleasantness, and wisely delegate jobs? So this capacity to utilize a social community in support of their ultimate issue of success you want to assess all the different variables associated to that. The emotional support people provide, the pragmatic support people provide, and the teaching or the, or the demonstration that people provide, and that's what you want to do. And next, number six, is the passion that they possess, the vision that they have, or the sense of meaningfulness or purposefulness that's behind what they want to succeed at. Now, some people are very emotionally driven, so you're going to look at their level of passion. And those individuals that are not emotionally driven and they're very cognitive, you want to look at their sense of vision. How can they see, perceive, organize, delineate the future and how it will look like success? And those individuals that are more faith-based or belief-based or want to feel the meaning, existential meaningfulness of something, you're going to examine their sense of meaningfulness or purpose. So we're going to take a pause here, and I'll be back in a moment. Well, welcome back. I'm so glad uh, you're here. I hope you feel a little bit refreshed that you took some time to stretch. The importance of being able to stretch. Let's talk about that for a moment. The importance of being able to take a moment to stretch and feel comfortable and relaxed and rejuvenated is also key to success. And being able to teach your clients to live in the joy of the moment, the good humor, the laughter, taking a moment away from all of their tasks so they are refreshed. And that is a task to be able to teach them in your presence. Going on, though, however, one of the things that you want to consider as one of the variables, we're moving actually on to variable number seven, is as you evaluate yourself as who do you include in your success network. These are individuals that I include in my my success network, and actually I have so many more to present to you. These are individuals that I've actually uh, interviewed or talked about on my radio show. And notice that there's just all sorts of different variables. People um, such as Belinda Farrell, who has undergone suicide of her her son, uh, the loss of income to a shyster, uh, serious life-threatening disease, a divorce uh, that was quite intensely antagonistic, um, as well as being an actress and a stunt car driver and a successful hypnotherapist and is now Huna Healer. She epitomizes the whole process of living successfully, no matter what life dishes out to you. And that is golden. Her book, Find Your Friggin' Joy is a wonderful book that just moves you into at least one of the formulas for success from her point of view. Now, we could go to Millstones, written by James R. Dunlap, again, an individual I interviewed on my radio show. And the key about this is how do people overcome the betrayal of a very big force in their life, a success network force, in this case, the Catholic Church, and triumph over a huge force still hold to their true values in life, um, but still nonetheless proceed to confront a huge force, a force that feels bigger than you might. 
And another individual, Susan Boyle, you recognize, she overcame a lot of self-esteem issues of her own, persevered, was antagonistically treated, did not have the emotional fabric to be able to succeed as she did, and had a wonderful success network that pulled her out of difficult times. Here's another aspect of Four Noble Truths as associated to the understanding of the idea of Buddhism, which is only a very small fraction of my spiritual walk, but nonetheless has wonderful noble truths that become governing forces. Right below that, a gentleman who has been crippled for 32 years. And James Guerra, again interviewed on my my show, wrote a wonderful biography, autobiography about his experience of triumphing in life he is now, uh, he was a successful financial person. He was successful in his family. He became successful now as a comedian and an actor. He's an amazing individual that I actually met on my Facebook. We could talk about each of these other individuals as healers, as healed, as facing horrible circumstances and triumphing over it. But these are just examples. What are your individuals that you include in your success network? that would make you strong, people you fall back on. Let's go on. Personality qualities that are part of your support success, uh, that support your success, are different than the qualities that we talked about earlier, which were the, the success aptitude or mindset or skills that would predict your success. Different than the social network, and yet there are personality qualities. And let's look at the personality qualities that seem to be supportive of success. And you're going to analyze this in yourself, you're going to analyze this in your clients, and you're going to understand where they are on these particular personality qualities that help and hinder them. So, for example, one of the, these are, again, based on over 20 different models of success. Are they action-oriented versus hopeful and wishful or dreamers? Now, it's important to be hopeful, wishful, and dreamers, but we do find that the individuals that take actions associated to their wishes, their hopes, their dreams, their ideologies, those individuals that take action, following planning, following the dreams, following mentoring, following training, those who take action, each of the steps along the way, are more likely to succeed than those that can do everything else or do part of everything else, but ultimately it falls upon their ability to take action. Uh, it's a risk. Uh, they don't want to be risk adverse against the actions. Next, do they have a history of association with other success-oriented individuals as children, preteens, teens, or young adults? And what part of their life did they see very successful people and how and in what dimensions? Like, how many children see a successful parent, bring home a lot of money, but they're not successful in their relationships, they're not successful in their love for their children or in their attentiveness to their spouse, but they are successful in business? Or how many of those children see a successful parent, but they're not that successful in business? Or how many, Or where, where do they see someone who's very successful in all sorts of different dimensions? And so you want to know what their imagery is inside themselves of having seen other people successful. Now, people who do not have any mentors of success can be highly successful. For example, Bill Clinton, raised by a single mother who was not well off, developed a consciousness about success-oriented individuals in his life. But he had to have a sense of being successful. Tony Robbins, same, raised by a family full of conflict, and full of poverty, but nonetheless, they did encourage him to be the best that he could be. 
Well, did he see success in the adults and individuals in his life? No. In fact, he saw a condition of life that he did not want to repeat, and that engendered a passion that made him want to figure out what success was all about. And then he began to teach it to other people as well. So, but what is that history associated to success-oriented individuals? Now, some people have such success-oriented parents that they actually become lazy, which brings us to our third personality quality. Is the individual prone to procrastination, laziness, delays, or excuses? And if they are not, they're more likely to have a success-oriented possibility in their personality. So you want to be able to look at these three dimensions of their personality in all sorts of different ways. Now, what doesn't seem to be relevant to success-oriented is whether they're prone to stress, whether they're prone to depression or anger, whether they're prone to mania or trauma, whether they're prone to narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder. These elements do not seem to prohibit an individual from being successful. In fact, if they're prone to a certain type of stress, depression, or anger, if they have a certain type of mania that they can control or contain but also utilize, if they're overcomers of trauma, and they tend to be able to be quite successful because they respond to either lowering their stress level or coping with stress, or they try to figure out how to deal with their depression and anger by being proactive. It's a certain type of response to those difficulties, including trauma, that's more relevant than that they had those difficulties. Now, narcissistic personality disorders and antisocial personality disorders actually can be very success-oriented. They have other complications and glitches, but they can be very success-oriented in lots of different ways. But what does seem to be relevant, what personality qualities that do seem to be relevant to the ability to succeed is passive aggressiveness, passivity, fear or anxiety, being risk adverse, having a dependent personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, identity quandaries that keep them so trapped in the questions of identity they can't go forward in action and decision and moving forward, and also if they are inclined to being very oriented to blaming others or being a victim in all circumstances. Associated to that is one of my favorite photos, which is please do not sit on the fence. And the sitting on the fence is the deadly passiveness, the indecision, the not moving one way or the other. And notice the pokes on the top, which to me are very symbolic, too. You know, sometimes we get poked in life, and that keeps us on the trail to success because we don't want to feel the pain of the poke. So please do not sit on that fence of passivity. Now, psychotherapist as a template for success is something I want you to take very seriously. You are your clients and patients guru. That may feel uncomfortable. In fact, it probably should feel uncomfortable. So unless you're highly narcissistic or you have that kind of wish to have a lot of fame, you probably should feel a little uncomfortable with your clients looking at you as if you're the model of success because you're not there for them to aggrandize you. You're there for them to learn how to be successful themselves. However, in the success-oriented psychotherapeutic format or template, all those clients and patients chose you, and they're hopeful that you are a model of success. So are you? Are you a model of success when it comes to money management, business management, relationships, health, leadership, well-being, happiness, contentment, or being creative or following through? 
are you? And if you're not, you need to know where your glitches are and why. And if you're not in certain areas, but you're in other areas, you need to know what your strengths are in those one areas and where your glitches are in the other. In other words, if you're going to do a success-oriented practice, you need to be constantly in the state of evolving your own capacity to succeed. So the prerequisites for this type of success-building therapy is that the therapist has levels of success, and typically you are going to attract those clients that are less successful in certain regions of life where you are successful because that they're going to weed themselves out. They don't sense that you're financially successful. You're not going to have a lot of clients that have a lot of financial success because they will smell you a mile away. Okay, here we go. Are you, your clients, well-chosen mentors? Take a look at the comic strip. I did not include the second page of the comic strip. Why? Because you have to author that yourself. I'll look that through on the notes. A patient's template for success or failure. Here you go. This is what you would evaluate. This would be on the questionnaire. And you will be able to take these questions, and again, from zero to five, uh, or, or you can evaluate what your answers would be uh, on these, but these are things that are more self-exploration. And you might have your clients take these questions and analyze them with you or on their own. These are self-reflection questions. They will help you evaluate your patient's definition of what will be success. This is the third step of really understanding helping your client in the success-oriented path. Okay, so in this third step, what will make them happy or feel satisfied? What will make them feel worthy or valuable? What will fulfill their sense of destiny or purpose? What are their goals in life before the next phase of life begins or before they die? Their bucket list, for example. What are their survival fears, intentions, or motivators? Now, these are templates you want to ask yourself. Also, who will protect them when things get tough? have to know what their risk aversion is and what their backdrop is in terms of who's going to help them. Okay, so now as you help them answer those questions or look at those questions, you're helping them define what's going to make them feel like they've been successful people in the most global, emotional, psychological manner. Again, trained as licensed psychotherapists, these are questions that are specific to success that are kind of intrinsic in your understanding of your patients anyway, even if they don't come for success-oriented therapy. So now you want to evaluate their values. This is the next step. You're still evaluating. You're helping them think through. In any of these values, some are going to be rated more than others. You could have them actually rate these eight variables of life as which one's more important than the next. And based on that, they're going to let you know what they would like to focus on in terms of feeling successful first versus what they would really not care that much about. So what are their values in terms of family, money or lifestyle, romance, fame or public profile, social connections, personal experiences of satisfaction, happiness, contentment, their legacy or what they wish to create or leave behind, and their freedom from pathology, fears, angers, and depression. And you take these eight variables and you say, okay, now rate which one is the most important thing for you right now. Now, some clients that typically would choose a traditional psychotherapeutic relationship are going to say, I want the freedom from my pathology, freedom from my fears, my angers, my panics, and my depression. And that's first on my list in the therapeutic arena. People who tend to come in for success-oriented therapy tend to rate family, money or lifestyle, romance, 
public profile or fame, and a legacy or what they want to leave behind first and foremost. And then they might drop into what they wish their social connections could be like or what their personal experiences, satisfaction, happiness, and contentment would be like. And last, they will rate freedom from pathology, fears, and anger because most people who are related to success-oriented are not that troubled by whatever their pathologies or fears or inks are. Okay, so then you take your client, and now you want to evaluate what their successes are and what tools they use to get there, because every client that walks in your room has been successful in one way or another. If they were walking, then they've been successful keeping their health adequate enough to be able to walk. If they are trim, if they are well-dressed, if they called and researched you, if they coordinated insurance to pay you, if they brought in finances for you, they are demonstrating their level of success. If they say, I'm not really much worried about this area of my life, but over here I'm really a dismal failure, you want to know what that success section of their life has been that they're not worried about and how they got that way because that's where their embedded capacities to succeed and their tools are manifesting themselves already. So don't leave them unattended to. You want to know what this client is equipped with. So you want to accumulate a comprehensive list of their successes and the tools they utilize to create those successes. You want to note how their successes are appreciated and how they also minimize their successes. Or do they aggrandize them? Are they like so grandiose about their successes in one area that they've really overstated it, and is that how they see themselves? And is seeing themselves as successful in that arena more important than actual success? You want to know that. You want to know any threads of common tools, any threads of patterns that are associated to your patient's successes and failures or their near misses. So now note, this is a totally different dimension of understanding your patient's capacity for success. I just had to include that. <laughs> now, you know, Wolfram is an, in, an interesting individual. He was given so much recognition of his ability to succeed. And um, it, and, and then he it got this wonderful grant to be able to prove that he was so good, good at thinking about things that he really felt that he could quantify anything and everything. And in, in doing that, he really... Um, he really said, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to show you uh, that I can take anything and quantify it. So guess what I did? Uh, I wanted to quantify, show you his quantification of what success looks like in his world, his domain, his dominion. So he notes to us that, you know, in the United States, we talk about success more than any other country. And in the United States, uh, we are constantly trying to understand what our success is in different dimensions. And here he says we're going to measure success in terms of relationships. And so he does it in terms of looking at, guess what, marriages. So here are our, this is our annual marriages. This is how successful we've been in 1990. A whole lot more of us got married than in 2004. So does that mean that our level of success in relationships in the United States is that much lower? That would be one way to quantify it. And then we, the application. Here's another thing. What's the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything? 42. And if any of you have been listening to some Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you'd understand that. But he wanted to quantify 
what life is all about. And that's what you're doing with your clients. You're trying to quantify their sense of success, where they are successful, what their tools are, where they're selling, and why. Now, we're in a world where we have so many coaches. And Dr. Shelley Sockwell is an awesome example of this. She epitomizes what success life coaches are all about. And so she wrote a recent book, and she's interviewed by me on my radio show as well, about these 37 secrets of top paid professional coaches. And none of us are ill-equipped to be able to be these top life coaches, these professional coaches. And yet, in the re- she's in the realm of hypnotherapy and life coaching, and not in the realm of psychotherapy as such. We need to learn from her because she's been able to market this life coach mentality, which people are more searching for than anything else. Here's another individual I want you to know. His name is, um, oh my gosh, I don't have His name is Bill, and he is, again, an individual that I interviewed on my show. And he was a leader in the world of diamonds. And as a consequence of his work in the world of diamond evaluation, gym evaluations, he helped organize this agencies that would be able to do this internationally. But he stepped out of the arena of being an administrator and reflected on what makes, what's the mindset of a leader. And if this person comes to you and says, look, I need help as an administrator, a leader, a CEO, rising into the management of my life, help me, or being a leader of my family, uh, help me. This book is is very helpful in terms of the qualities of a leader. I don't agree with everything he says. And again, you're welcome to listen to my interview with him as an easy way of understanding what his steps toward uh, successful leadership is. Here's another individual that really espouses um, what leaders, what success is all about. He's in the success field. He's not a psychotherapist. He's a success coach. Well, why, why is he a success coach? And here we have all these wonderful tools of psychotherapists. He's a self-appointed success coach and given a lot of recognition for his work. Well, here's what he delineated and became so popular. Richard St. John developed a book, some materials, and marketed about the eight secrets of success. And he teaches this, this beautiful pattern, working from passion, work, focus, pers- persistence, ideas, goods, push, and service. And he said these are what lead to people's success. And then he delineates each of these so masterfully, so easily in his books. And, and and on his website and on his TED lectures, and you can actually see his TED lectures. It's Richard St. John's Eight Secret of Success, a six-minute talk about how to be successful. Now, what stops us, the psychotherapists, from doing that? Look at these individuals coming from all different places, all different walks of life, who have written books about success. These are just a few that are on Amazon that are available for you. Where are you? Where's your formula for success that is related to all the different clients with whom you've worked, all of your training as a psychotherapist, all your training in the world of being analyzed yourself and working with yourself? Where's your formula for success? And, by the way, you should have no less than seven different models for success, and we will get there in a moment. But where is yours? And that's part of your marketing. 
So an individual from Stanford, think about it, a wonderful psychologist tr training and working in Stanford University, decides that she's going to look into this whole issue of success. And so a new psychology of success, reading her book, look at this, it's March 21st, 2007, reading her book, her new psychology of success is no different than other individuals' psychology of success that were written hundreds of years prior to, to Dr. Carol Dweck. But here she is, apparently you know, discovering these new attitudes towards success from a great school, wonderful field of research, and she discovers that mindset is central to the new psychology of success. So let's follow her work just a little bit um, in a moment. Here's another individual that says, okay, in 30 days for just a dollar, I can give you all these variables of success. Are you ready? Get set. Go. Where's your tool? Where are your tools for success? And you need to have them. Because in the world of success therapy, you need to be out there proving that you can delineate success worry. You need to have this well-defined. And these are individuals I'm putting out here that model that they have their success formula. Let's come back to Dr. Dweck, uh, Dweck's uh, mindset for success for just a moment. And here you can see excerpts from her ebook that tell you what, she, here she says stretching. People in a growth mindset don't just seek challenge, they thrive on it. The bigger the challenge, the more they stretch. And nowhere can it be seen more clearly than in the world of sports. You can just watch people stretch and grow. And here she is stating one of the mindsets, stretching beyond possible. Are you the kind of person there is not much that can be done to really change that? Wait a minute, Are you, do you believe that? So here she is saying, what type of attitude do you have towards success? So on, in her book, her ebook, and here it is, I want you to look this up. I want you to, I'm going to advertise her for a moment since I'm using her materials. Carol S. Dweck, Dr. Dweck from Stanford, writes a book, The Mindset, The New Psychology Success, How We Can Learn to Fulfill Our Potential in Parenting, Business, School, and Relationships. And what she states are everything that has been determined about the issues of success for centuries, that it is the mindset of the individual that is related to success. Let's take the test that she proposes in her ebook. You are follow, see if you agree or disagree with the following. You are the certain kind of person, and there is not much that can be done to really change that. Two, no matter what kind of person you are, you can always change substantially. Three, you can do things differently, but the important parts of who you are can't really be changed. Four, you can always change basic things about the kind of person you are. Now, which one of those four statements are success mentalities, success mindsets, personality mindsets? She says number two and number four. Number two is no matter what kind of person you are, you can always change substantially. Number four, you can always change basic things about the kind of person you are. But those are the two success-oriented mindsets out of this list. So what are the mindsets that you see in your clients? What are the mindsets that exist within your template of success? Let's move on. Another book, Psychology of Success, Find the Meaning in Life and Work. Another formula for success is this author stating very, very straightforwardly, 
meaningfulness, existential meaningfulness. The truth is, is that's only one variable of success. But he developed this whole book based on that. Now, how about that? So now I'm going to give you my formula for success that, I, that incorporates no less than seven different theoretical schools of psychology. These schools of psychotherapy are taught in the complex master's doctoral programs that we as psychotherapists have been licensed through. And they're complex for reasons, but they're applicable to the idea of success. So th I want you to think about what are my theories of success? What are the theories I hold to? What the theories I've been taught? What are the therapeutic schools or modalities that I embrace? And what are their essential definitions of success? How do I look at success through the modalities that I have embraced? So I've embraced the developmental theories. I've embraced cognitive behavioral therapies. I have embraced dispositional personality theories. I have embraced uh, uh, the, the theories of cleverness and conformity. I have embraced existentialism. I have embraced humanism. I have embraced psychoanalysis. I have embraced trauma-based uh, relief. I've embraced all these different types of models of understanding how people work through things and evolve. And in these exist definitions or explanations of success. Let's take a little bit of a break. Rest for a moment, and we will go forth from here. Welcome back from that 30-second break. We are going to continue to understand that in this next phase of things, which is actually a fourth phase of understanding success-oriented therapy, you now are going to delineate all the different theories that are fundamental to your uh, training, your background, your personality. Your personality embraced your theoretical schools, your, your modalities, because they matched your sense of what was going to work for you. And your clients are going to come in with the same sort of personality structures, and some of your modalities are going to match some, and others are not going to match. And you need to be able to have at least seven different theoretical schools of thought and modalities and tools that are inside all those theoretical schools and modalities so that you can tailor them to your clients. No, no one client matches your tools and no one set of tool matches all clients. So know what those tools are in each of those modalities. So I'm going to assume that you have a plethora of really fine training. And these are the tools that I, these are the schools of thought that I reap my tools from often as a psychologist. I'm also a hypnotherapist, and I find that hypnotherapy, NLP, EMDR, uh, Gestalt-type works related to dream and imagery, the, uh, the, the different uh, relaxation uh, tools that have been developed associated to hypnotherapy or things associated to that are extremely valuable. And if you don't have a background in hypnosis, 
I would suggest that you accumulate one. You learn. You you get uh, you get your 40 hours of training in. You you are well skilled in terms of your background and your licensure, and you will be able to use another tool that helps people be able to investigate themselves and also practice self hypnosis skills, because everything that a person says to themselves is a hypnotic suggestion. Everything that another person says to us becomes part and parcel of our hypnotic suggestion as well. So that it's an, it's an important tool. And I don't really include that in these developmental theories or the existential theory, the humanistic theories, because I consider it a fundamental tool that I use. Another tool that I use is not only the series of the hypnotic skills, but I also am psychoanalytically uh, trained and psychoanalytic, psychotherapeutic approaches that range all the way from Freudian to Kleinian to Bionian to ego psychology to the understanding of Adlerian theory, Jungian psychoanalysis. So I've had training in all those different psychoanalytic spots. And what that provides is this plethora of modalities that come out of the psychoanalytic school that are associated to understanding transference, projective identification, counter-transference, how to make interpretations, how to make interpretations on all sorts of different levels of consciousness and unconsciousness, and where to use developmental approaches that are related to self-psychology or Winnicotian psychoanalysis, and where to use other sorts of interventions, maybe dream interpretation, for example, that's associated to classical Freudian or to Jungian thought. And so those are fundamental to my my tool bag as well, and I use those in success-oriented work. Developmental theories particularly are about the relationship that forms, the relationship-oriented therapies that are about the therapist and how the therapist is going to help the development of that personality associated to fundamental developmental theory that where are the gaps, where do they regress to, what did they not have that they're now needing to compensate for, what was not developed that they now need to develop that's fundamental glitches or holes that are associated to their capacity to succeed. So developmental theory does tie in uh, a lot of the psychoanalytic schools of thought as well as the developmental theories that are now being investigated are extremely important to know and are related to the way a personality develops. So what phase of life is your client currently in? What they... Are they in infantilism? Are they in secondary narcissism? Are they in the practice phase of Mahler's developmental theories? And you need to have developmental theory as part of your package so that you have a frame of reference of looking at your client not as the age that they walk in with, they're 42 years old, female, uh, career-oriented, three kids, divorced. Okay, so that would be a stereotype, right? But developmentally, they may have lost their father at age three, and their mother may have collapsed from depression at age five, and you're going to know that whatever happened prior to that may have developed up to a certain point, and therefore their personality structure is going to be oriented towards being successfully living, and then suddenly there's a glitch in their development at age three. And that development, that glitch, creates both trauma reaction, it also creates a loss, it creates a sense of panic and risk, it has all sorts of dimensions to it that are relevant to their ability to see that they can be successful in life. If they're a woman, not having a dad has certain implications. Same with a man and, and, and other implications. 
And at age five, suddenly their mother continues to be depressed, is still depressed, therefore they're going to have an affect or emotional development that is related to this sense of gap, loss, leakage, uh, a, a, a vacuous part of their life. And you need to know where they are when they're walking to your room. They may not be age 42 emotionally, and you need to be able to assess their phase in life. Now, then look at their successes. Are their successes uh, way beyond what their emotional development is? Because their successes are built upon a compensating for the failures. That's a really good tool, actually, is that they've learned to succeed to compensate for what they've lost. So are they really successful relationships? Because they've learned to overcome all these other complications because they really worked hard at understanding how to have a good relationship because they lacked good relationships in their past. Or are there successes in business but they're not in relationship because they can never figure out how to have successful relationships because they're still very regressed in where the development is or have they moved forward in their relationship um, with business because they could figure out the formula for business success, money management or organizing around a certain model in business and developed a relationship with mentors that could help them do that. But in terms of having a great relationship with kids and spouse, ugh, not so much. So those are the ways you're going to use developmental models to understand where their successes lie, what tools they have developed that are intrinsic to their personality or that are compensatory to their past but are still relevant to their success or their glitches. So what tools are matured in their personality? What processes to develop out of their current situation? And what part of their personality is basically undeveloped because they haven't had the experience? And is this kind of the way they feel? Excuse the French there, but you know, a lot of people really feel like they aren't very well evolved. And you want to understand that feeling and that experience of themselves, whether it's warranted or not. We move from the developmental theories and modalities. There are many modalities that are associated with disposition or personality. And what's very interesting about Dr. Dweck, which I talked about earlier, is that she believes that mindset is everything and that if you have a mindset that your personality is rigidly established, that you're not going to succeed because then you're not open to change. But what's very important about this particular model is that your disposition or your personality theories help guide a therapist to conform interventions according to the learning styles and sensory styles and personality profile of their clients. So that the interventions, if they're highly cognitive, thinking-oriented client, you want to be able to use highly cognitive and thinking-oriented language that communicate the concept just like a concept as opposed to a feeling. Or if they're trying to develop the capacity to feel and have emotionally satisfying experiences and relationships, then you have to translate the understanding of feeling into their cognitive modalities so that you can stretch them. Again, the idea of stretch is being associated to a successful mindset. Stretch their comprehension to begin to embrace affect and emotion, but you have to approach them from where they're at in the moment, in their learning style, in their sensory style, and in their personality construct, knowing where they're at, having the language that matches where they're at, 
and then the language of these other aspects of life and development and success so you can stretch them into understanding and comprehending. So understanding a dispositional theory or modality and where your client fits into that is very helpful in being able to speak the language of other success models that they haven't developed language for. So let's go to cognitive behavioral theories and modalities. We're very in favor of research-based, verifiable treatments. And what's so nice about cognitive behavioral theories is that they always establish a goal that's measurable. And they always try to measure what interventions are specifically going to get a person closer to the goals. And so cognitive behavioral theory is easier in, it is easily established as in being able to be empiricized. Unfortunately, it is only one modality or theoretical school. It is not all of what's available to us. So don't become only attached to this version of interventions, but it is very helpful. And the way you would analyze or utilize the modalities of cognitive behavioral work in talking success with your clients is that you would understand their tapes and their auto-suggestions related to their mindsets or their attitudes. Now, we've also entered into this realm of mindfulness associated to cognitive behavioral uh, techniques. Mindfulness is typically much more existential, humanistic, and is oriented toward passion and purposefulness and meaningfulness. It is more out, it has been born out of Hindu, Buddhist practices that are spiritually oriented toward a very humanistic or existentially oriented perspective on life. But they've now been applied to cognitive behavioral treatment modalities, which I find very interesting, but that's what we value nowadays. So now the tools that they have acquired that are associated to instruction, practice, that promote success is what would be associated with cognitive behavioral theory. So you want to understand how they incorporate instruction, how they practice various uh, activities and exercises you're going to give them, and that will work for a certain group of people at a certain developmental level. Another way of looking at cognitive behavioral modalities is what habits and patterns and reward systems are intrinsic to their process of success and how can those habits, patterns, and reward systems be shifted over to other areas where they want to have success? And again, that's a cognitive behavioral approach to success. Then book therapy or listening to recordings, YouTube, hypnotic suggestions, going to seminars, having systematic practices that can mold their behavior, attitudes, and emotions are again also stated to cognitive behavioral approaches that are about intervening on a level of training. Very helpful when it comes to success training. Um, but it isn't the whole enchilada, but it is part of it. Now, something that's also important is how clever or conforming are your modalities and how clever or conforming is your client. And cleverness means I can understand the system, but I can work it my own way. And conformity is, is I can conform to the system, but I can still work it my own way. So the measure of cleverness and conformity to me is another way of looking at all the modalities and the modality of your client so that any modality you're utilizing, you want to know what it's like for your client to work outside your modality and outside their normal modality or the modality of their parents' 
their work situation or their spouse's situation. So here's my example of it. This individual is being given an assignment to write what a Chinese immigrant would be writing in 1870 about their experience. And the person who's obviously Chinese or literate in chi writing Chinese writes the report in Chinese, which of course the English-speaking teacher wasn't really quite thinking that's what they would do. But of course, it's both a demonstration of conformity to the assignment and cleverness because it takes it to, of course, its most natural and pure way of dealing with an issue. A wonderful thing to evaluate your modalities and evaluate the modalities of your clients. Here's another interesting exercise. This, as I'm, as I'm talking about this, it's an I can read it, can you? It's this wonderful sheet of scrabbled letters that are not so scrabbled because it's based on the fact that your mind is very plastic. And so it's related to the schools of neuroplasticity or brain, the science of the brain. And that when you're working for success for a client, you might have them read something like this to prove to them that they don't, that their brain is actually very pliable. It's flexible. It can do a task like reading this, so all the letters are not in, 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 understandable form in terms of conforming to spelling except for the first sound and the last sound of every long word or two-letter words, the letters may or may not be twisted around. So if you can read this, you have a strange mind too. Can you read this? Only some people can. I couldn't believe that I could. So you keep going down through this, this letter realizing you can read all of it, even though very few of the words are actually spelled correctly. Why? So in the success work of your clients, this cleverness, conformity, also is related to the brain plasticity, the capacity of the brain, their capacity to think outside their boxes, to work in alternate ways, that they don't have to be just in one spot, and to trust their brain to trust their plasticity, their ability to be flexible in situations, is another aspect of success training. Another school of success training that I embrace are the existential theories. And I think that the finding of purposefulness and meaningfulness and what the individuals want to succeed at is part of the exercises that you need to do with your clients. You need to help them find what is really really important to them, what drives them, what motivates them, what's part of their vision, what makes them feel important and valuable to society, what makes them feel like they're going to make a difference, they're going to leave an imprint on society that's going to be wonderful. And for some people, it's earning just tons of money, and for others, it's helping a lot of individuals become healthy, and for others, it's being able to read all these different amazing theories and, and, and swallow them up and understand them and regurgitate them or write their book. But to be able to find your core existential purposefulness is a part, in my mind, of success-oriented work based on the existential theories or models of psychotherapy. In addition, I also embrace the humanistic theories or modalities. You know, everyone is driven to be self-actualized, at least according to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And so Carl Rogers and those schools of thoughts that were wonderfully developed in the University of Chicago, they have said, you know, we all are here to express our most optimal 
self and to be of the most help and to have the ultimate self-expression and to also be able to meet the hierarchy of our needs. And you're going to find out where your client is on that ladder of, of survival versus that ladder of manifesting something way beyond survival. That would be a developmental application of the humanistic theory. You're going to find out what that is. And you're going to find out where they're successful at on that, that schema of need of success versus the need of survival, and that would be applying Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But there's also going to be this emotional experience, this human-to-human -human experience that may be lacking for your client or maybe on the, one of their values of success. And this human process, this human-to-human -human process, in my mind, is part of the self-actualization of what it means to be human. So <clears throat> to illustrate that, I'd love to quote Einstein, I think, most people do, is does this person have a humanistic or soulful value? And try not to become a man of success, but rather try to become a man of value is Einstein's definition of success, to be a man of value, to have an impact. And that was what he thought was a man of value was actually his man of success. So when he's saying don't be successful, he's thinking money versus be valuable, which means what you contribute to society. Now, associated to the aspect of, of, of humanism and existentialism are people who have overcome trauma or difficult situations. And to be able to know what and who inspires your client to overcoming is important because success often is, tangential with it is, the capacity to overcome hurdles, to overcome obstacles. You know, it's so high you can't get over it, so low you can't get under it, so wide you can't get around it. So in that song, you go, oh, rock of my soul, in the bosom of Abraham. So in other words, God Almighty is going to have to get you over this obstacle. So who inspires your client? What inspires your client? So this gal inspires me, and her name is escaping me right at this moment, but I've interviewed her as well. She's an incredible individual who took her circumstances in life that would have potentially handicapped anybody and embraced that it was just a normal part of who her life was, interestingly enough, and then became this amazing individual who, guess what, doesn't have legs, doesn't have legs above the knees down, and actually was born without legs. She learned to walk on the portion of her legs that were right above her knees. Then she also learned to walk amazingly on this apparatus and became actually a competitor for the United States Olympic uh, gold. And while her name is escaping me at this very moment, we'll get it later, she's this amazing individual that inspires me. What's your client's inspiration? Can they look at this? Another individual that inspires me is the individual that doesn't have any arms, doesn't have any legs, has a little flap that his hip portion of his body, his pelvic portion of his body, resides on. And he can swim, surf, move around, and depends on people to actually transport him in other regards. But he is inspiring. So what inspires your client to be an overcomer of adversity. And that's another model of therapy that is related to trauma-based trauma theory. And this is a whole 
region, as a psychotherapist, we are trained to deal with molestation, sexual and verbal abuse, environmental trauma, war. Traumas are a part of everyone's life, and some people, traumas are a bigger part of life. And the ability of an individual to be productive as an overcomer to trauma is a part of success. It is a mindset. Now, interestingly enough, many people who are traumatized become motivated to be successful because they're not going to be victimized or handicapped by the circumstances. And they're more driven by being overcomers, and that's a mentality. Again, it's a mindset according to our Stanford professor. Now, the other aspect of trauma-based theories is what we now know about the brain, the impact of the brain, and the chemicals associated to stress, associated to cortisol levels, uh, uh, adrenal system, how they become risk-averse, how they have or become very self-deprecating, or they have a lot of self-doubt, or they're emotionally paralyzed because of the type of trauma that has existed in their life. And so these individuals, while they can be overcomers, you also have to realize they have these traumas that have inhibited them. So trauma-based work with clients that don't appear to have trauma is very helpful when you're talking about who inspires them, what helps them overcome adversity, and who are their models. And those individuals that do have trauma, which face it, are the majority of the individuals that seek clinical psychotherapy or more complex work with a psychotherapist than just a life coach. But if they're seeking success-oriented work and they've had this trauma, you are actually better equipped than a life coach to help them overcome because you can work with them on stress, anxiety, their identity, and their bedded issues associated with and the developmental complications associated to it. So next step in this, we have all these tools, you have all these schools of thought, but guess what? You really need to understand your patient's theories. You need to understand your patient's theory of therapeutic help and what they desire from you. It's, do they think that all they need is motivation, passion, or inspiration? Note it. Do they think that all they need is a clear path, a clear instruction, education, mentoring, and information? Note it and give it. Do they think that all they need is support or compassion or empathy from you? Note it, give it, tie it into everything else. Do they think that their success is going to be born from their need to recover from their trauma or the discouragement? Be aware of that. How about their self-confidence? They feel like that's what they need. Now, they may also come to you because they perceive that a particular type of treatment or therapy is going to get them to where they want to be. Many people come to me for hypnosis, which is a very powerful tool. Or they might seek NLP or EMDR or psychoanalysis. So they will see that there must be a right type of therapy or right type of therapist and know that they're holding a lot of importance in the technique. Next. Do they view that all they need is luck or opportunity, magic, or a deity? Note that. Address it and utilize it, but also realize the glitches associated to it. Then, do they need to feel, do they feel like they need to have a curse removed and you need to somehow help them with that? Do they have historical relationships or events that need to be changed? Are they handicapped 
or by a trauma reaction that needs to be removed. So do they walk in the room with that sort of scenario template? Note it. Be aware of it. And now apply those tools you know to use, the rituals, the the types of interventions that you know help people remove their curses, the, the type of psychoanalysis that helps them with historical relationships and the grief that's in psycho that's in deeply embedded in their unconscious or in their personality formation. Next, do they view that all they need is to have an obstacle removed or another person to be stopped? or another person that needs to stop something or start something in order for them to move ahead, then note that they put their power in that other individual and do all the psychotherapy that you know to do that helps them own the power that exists inside themselves. And then cast that use of that normal psychotherapeutic technique that you use in a way that talks about success. The success that they can have once they've overcome the obstacle or once they've become empowered enough to look to themselves as a resource for stopping something. (coughs) Oh, excuse me. Next, do they think that all they need is to not have ADHD or ADD or to not be afraid or not be lazy or not be tempted or not be distracted or not be addicted or not be angry, not be fearful? Which excuses are used by your clients? And note that. And in the process of evaluating what they think they need, I need therapy that's going to stop me from being so fearful so I'm able to charge ahead boldly and courageously in that direction. Then you can say, okay, the success for you in part is going to be defined by us doing the type of the work that emboldens you or to do the type of work that that reduces your phobia or get the type of interventions that help you be able to face fears and function nonetheless. That might be associated to being inspired by overcoming. So now you have seven different theoretical schools of thought, hopefully, and how do those schools of thought address all of these perspectives that your their, your client has about the theories and what they perceive are their therapeutic needs for help. I have gone very fast through all of these different types of interventions, but let me give you a list of places to look that will help you start forming your models of success. Because after all, if you have the models of success, you can impart them if you are addressing all these dimensions. So look to this list. For those of you that don't have that information in front of you, listen up. Consider reading the book Mindset, The New Psychology of Success, Success by Dr. Carol S. Dweck, W-E-C-K. Or definitely read through Richard St. John's Eight Secrets of Success. It's so easy to digest. He's so graphic, and it's definitely very usable, and it incorporates all the essential qualities of success models that have been developed for centuries. Definitely you need to include a very thorough understanding of Napoleon Hill's laws of success, think and grow rich. And I have included a a really thorough analysis in my book, uh, uh, Spiritual Gurus, Spiritual Paths, Your Choice. Napoleon Hill is part of that. Anthony Robbins also reviewed in my book and delineated he talks about the formula for success to be so funnily coming down to passion, inspiration, and action. And that's his formula for success. Og Mandino has written many books about success, and his formula of 10 steps, the secrets to success, 
very digestible, very doable, and is also faith-based for individuals that are oriented in that direction. His work on YouTube is available, along with Anthony Robbins, along with Richard St. John on YouTube, along with Napoleon Hills. And if you have your clients listen to any of those YouTubes, make sure you do as well so that you can digest them and know when you to refer a person to go and use that medium. Sigmund Freud, Maslow, Jung, and Eric Erickson all have formulas for success you need to learn and know. Joe Vitale is an interesting individual that dovetails with all of the secrets, uh, uh, the ideas and intentionality, the, uh, the commitment to having the right attitude towards success. And I have a comma after his name because all of the individuals that are in his modality are community life coaches that talk about here's how you are successful by having this attitude, by having this intention, by having embracing this mental approach, this mindset approach. And he invigorates this in terms of creativity, money, making money, having a money mindset, and having great relationships. So he is actually, in my mind, a model of modern-day gurus that preach success and then try to outreach it to people in a way that's that feels very immediate and very doable. Need to, you need to understand that. The spiritual perspectives all have a definition of success, whether it's mindfulness, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Muslim, spiritualism, and mysticism. I could go on the whole entire list. And every one of them has a definition of what success looks like, and they all have formulas for how to get there. You need to know what yours are. You need to know what your clients are. Now, the fundamental key of what I'm saying that your client is in a state where certain things of success, certain qualities of success already match what your client has been successful at. And that you will take all of what that, that patient has and brings to you. And then you're going to figure out how you need to stretch that client in all these other dimensions of life using all these different therapeutic schools of thought and the tools that are intrinsic to them. And you want to look at your toolkit from your schools of thought that you've embraced from all of your training and decide which ones of them expand in these other aspects of what the client wants to be successful in based on your client's given and current alive ability to succeed, his current or her current manifestations of success, and then related to all their needs for development and the gaps. So now... Which gurus fit your patients and which gurus fit you? And they may not be the same. Which gurus speak your patient's languages and which gurus speak your language? And they may not be the same. And the more languages that you can speak associated to your client's sense of, of, of success, oh, the better equipped you're going to be in terms of being able to actually help your client succeed. Throughout the remainder of the PowerPoint that's available to you. What I'd like you to see um, is just an outline of different aspects of what we've talked about so you can kind of see the steps associated to success. And if you go to the, um, uh, the assessment of the therapist, you'll see that I have nine steps laid out here that are all about the steps to take that will help you move 
from assessing yourself and assessing your client through to creating ways to measure how successful your client is being as the two of you work together. Uh, if you go to the number 52 window, you'll see all models and paradigms that are worth your consideration in terms of understanding success models. That, and if you begin to look at everything you know, and every model that you have in terms of success, which is different than, than in terms of pathology, you will have a very different formula. We want to talk about marketing just a bit. And actually, we've been talking about marketing this whole time. Think about it in this way. While you are exercising your capacity to succeed, you are learning valuable tools as to how to help your clients succeed. So that anytime you are creating marketing material, anytime you are speaking, anytime you are preparing a pamphlet, anytime you are making a CD, anytime you're doing a radio interview, anytime you're writing a book, anytime you're preparing a program, anytime you're reading something to try to understand how to do the exercise or going to a seminar, you are increasing your tool chest leading to success and you're increasing your ability to be successful as well. Now, since you are one of the primary tools your client uses to become successful, let me repeat that. Since you are one of your client's primary tools for them to become successful, you as a tool need to be refining yourself on every level. Refine your understanding of money. Refine your understanding of business. Refine your understanding of having great relationships in your family. Refine your maturity and your developmental issues so that you can develop beyond. Stretch yourself beyond your comfort zone to embracing the next challenge. Learn what it is like to take risks and learn what it's like to be risk-averse and how to move yourself beyond it. Learn what it's like to face adversity and what it's like to embrace the power of adversity to become a masterful individual. You have to become a master in order to help your client become successful. And if you're still in the process of doing that, know that you are limited, but there are clients you can help succeed, and they'll be the ones that attract to you. Again, if you're highly financially successful, a much greater rate of being able to attract those clients that are also financially successful because you'll speak a language that they get. Then, if your relationships are good, you'll be attracting those clients that want to have good relationships as well. So you are the first and foremost tool. One of the things I love about psychoanalytic schools of thought is that they honestly believed that no one could do psychoanalysis unless they had experienced psychoanalysis. And I'm suggesting to you that can you actually teach someone to be successful if you haven't tasted both the processes and steps associated to becoming successful in many dimensions of life? And while your way of approaching success may not be what your client needs exactly, you nonetheless understand the process associated to you being successful. Well, I hope this has motivated you, informed you, and to be quite honest, there's no way I could have covered it all. That's why with these wonderful authors that are associated with success that have been around for decades is available to you on this list and everywhere you look. My encouragement to you, create 
your own set of tools, delineate them for yourself, and then see if you can generalize them to others. And that process alone is a very powerful exercise of leading you towards your own success. Your own success will